Welcome back to the Breast Cancer Podcast. Before we get started on this topic of fertility, we wanted to let you know about an amazing nonprofit for those who are facing infertility due to a cancer diagnosis. Worth the Weight Charity is easing the financial burden for young adult cancer survivors pursuing parenthood by providing financial support for fertility treatments, adoption, and surrogacy. Be sure to check out their Instagram at Worth the Weight Charity to learn more about their grants, education, and advocacy work. If you'd like to donate a few dollars to this work being done, be sure to check out the show notes below. All right. Welcome back to the Breast Cancer Podcast. Welcome back, everyone. It's good to see you. I always look forward to seeing you, Monica. (laughs) Thank you. I had a pretty couple of, you know, busy weeks, but I'm like, okay, end of this week, I get to see Monica. Yes, it was yes, really nice. It's the same. Um, everything going well with you? Everything is well. I'm healing well from my surgery. That's wonderful. And I hate using the term new normal because none of this feels normal at all, but I feel like I'm finally getting back to who I was before cancer happened. And I think my deep flat surgery was a big part of that. Oh, so, good. Yeah, good. Yeah. Good. I'm really excited about today's topic about fertility. And this idea initially came when there was a review on our podcast that said that this was a topic they'd like to hear. And then you brought it up recently. And I thought like, oh, this is perfect. So thank you for bringing that up. But let's first talk about why are we having a fertility specialist? Why does, what does this have to do with breast cancer and treatment? So can you speak to that first? Yeah. So that's a great question. And so we're excited to have Dr. Yami and uh, she's excellent. And this is what she does for a living. But so why do we need to send patients to see a fertility specialist when they're diagnosed with cancer? So for these young women who are still in the childbearing age who get diagnosed with breast cancer, specifically triple negative breast cancer or hypotonopositive breast cancer, when the cancer is large enough or if it's in the lymph nodes, we typically send them to get chemotherapy first before surgery. What chemotherapy does is the way it acts is it kills rapidly dividing cells. So your eggs are rapidly dividing. Oh. So sometimes these eggs can be damaged either temporarily or permanently and with the effects of chemotherapy. And some chemotherapeutic agents are more toxic than other chemotherapeutic agents. Okay. And so then these younger women, women in their childbearing years, when they're diagnosed with breast cancer, we typically send them to a fertility specialist for them to talk to them and give them different options of preserving their eggs or embryos, depending on where they are in their life. Okay. So when I hear the rapidly dividing cells, I just always looked at my hair that way. Like that's when my hair falls out, but- because the eggs that we carry are also rapidly dividing, chemotherapy goes after that too. Yes. So it goes, goes after the cancer, yes. goes after the eggs, goes after the hair follicles, all yes. of those things. Yes. Wow. And this is, it, it's hard. This is just another layer, I think, to breast cancer that doesn't get enough attention. Yes. And it's life-changing that in ways that people don't see. Like, yes, your hair grows back, but if you're challenged with the fertility aspect, that's that's hard and people don't always see that. And so I think it's great to bring Dr. Yemi onto the podcast to talk more about this and what this means and options that are available. Yeah, it is really an excellent topic to talk about. And also when these women are diagnosed with cancer, of course, you just got hit by a train. So mm-hmm. they're not really thinking yeah. sometimes. And I feel really bad for those single young women who don't are not in a relationship, uh, don't know yet if they mm-hmm. want kids. I mean, my youngest patient is 19. I can tell you at 19, I wasn't thinking about kids. Oh, sure. So none yeah. of us, most of us are not. So 
uh, it is a really difficult topic. It is very important for us physicians to bring it up when we first uh, talk to them. And it's usually us breast surgical oncologists who see them uh, when they're first diagnosed. So it's our job to bring up the topic of, hey, are you interested in having kids? If so, let me refer you to the fertility specialist. Now, for those women who don't need chemo right away and they can go on to get surgery, they have to have a little bit more time uh, to go see a fertility specialist to get have that egg retrieval. Okay. And because it takes about, you know, we usually get patients into surgery within four to six weeks of their diagnosis. Okay. But it's really super urgent for those women who need chemotherapy before surgery. Okay. This so. is great. A great uh, preface to what we're going to get into today. So let's go ahead and get started. Welcome to the Breast Cancer Podcast. I'm breast surgeon, Dr. Deepa Hala Harvey, and I'm Monica Brooks, a breast cancer advocate. And we are both breast, breast cancer, cancer survivors. survivors. We're here to talk about all things breast cancer. From surgery to survivorship, we know firsthand the challenges a breast cancer diagnosis can bring. We are here to tackle topics that impact our lives. Let's get started. Welcome back, um, Deepa Hala Harvey. I'm with Monica Brooks, and I think you almost called me Dr. Monica Brooks. Well, <laughs> you, you are. I you love the lot. honorary doctor, doctor, the doctor of the heart. <laughs> right. She is. She is the doctor of the heart and many other things. Um, Dr. Yemi, I was going to yes. say, just introduce yourself if you don't mind. Sure. My name is Yemi Famuyiwa. I'm the medical director for Montgomery Fertility in Rockville, Maryland. I'm also an associate professor of obstetrics and gynecology at George Washington University Medical School. And I also launched recently uh, an egg bank and I wow. treat fertility patients of all ilk. And also I'm a very strong advocate for fertility preservation, especially for cancer patients. Oh, wow. That's wonderful. And what a great person to have on the podcast. We don't talk about it enough. Yes. And I think even the impact that cancer can have on fertility yes. is also a really big thing going on in the cancer community. Mm -hmm. At what point of the cancer diagnosis do you see patients? I don't see them early enough. Yes. Oh. I see someone who um, they're being told they need surgery next week right? Or we need yeah. to start chemotherapy today. Well, when was the diagnosis made? It was made a couple of months ago. So it sounds like what you're saying is the earlier, the better for Correct. when a patient gets diagnosed that they should be sent to a fertility specialist right away. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. So okay. the minute the diagnosis is made is when you should get someone involved. Okay. Is there a moment or is there a point in time when it is too late? I don't think so. I think that the minute you make the diagnosis, you can start at any time that you can. So I'm very good at doing what is called a, a random start, is where you stimulate the ovaries and still get some, some eggs. And you can go a second cycle. I can do another two weeks and get more eggs. Um, the more you do that, the more you can accumulate and get more eggs to store. You know, sadly, you know, I've been doing this for nine years now. Over the last maybe five years or so, I'm seeing more and more younger patients. My first five years of practice, I really probably remember a handful of patients who were under 40. But now all I see, or not all I see, but most of the patients I see are under 50. When I do see that younger patient, I am thinking, okay, are you interested in fertility preservation? Are yes. you interested in having more kids? Yes. And really, I think the tough thing for me is when you see that young, you know, early 20s, late 20s, early 30s, 
they're still single. They don't know yet if they're going to want to have kids or not. They don't have a partner. But regardless, I think it's good for the patients to come see you and, you know, ask questions, you know, whether it's the right time to start, you know, doing preservation of either eggs or embryo. But prior to that, why is that important is if a patient starts chemotherapy that puts them in medical menopause and they are not able to, you know, have kids during that time or, you know, freeze their eggs during that time. So the most commonly the time that I do, like I would say urgently stat consult to a fertility specialist is someone needing chemotherapy before surgery. If someone is wanting to have surgery or needs surgery first, then we can typically wait as they're getting ready for surgery and, you know, they have a little bit more time before seeing you. So what is the process if you can walk us through, say you get a 30 year old patient to your office who's going to start chemotherapy, we usually say within a couple of weeks of diagnosis that they need to start chemotherapy. What is the process that that they have to undergo in order to initiate this process? Number one, evaluate the patient. So let's say I get a phone call. The first thing I'm going to do is call the patient and see where are they in their menstrual cycles, right? So it doesn't matter where in their menstrual cycle, I can stimulate their ovaries to produce mature eggs As soon as I get the mature eggs, then I can either fertilize them or just freeze them without fertilizing them. Any option works. One of the things that we look at is how many children does that patient want? So if the patient wants like two or three children in their lifetime, then they might want to cycle through more than one time. What I do is I will stimulate them and then collect some eggs and then right away continue stimulating them. It's called a dual stimulation. Normally we would stimulate the patient and then wait for the ovaries to recover and then do another cycle. Well, with cancer patients, you don't have that luxury of time. You can actually just start stimulating them again and maybe add another couple of eggs. And then it's called an accumulated cycle. It's a trick to get more eggs that are mature at the same time. So normal IVF, you would first do a workup. You would do an anti-malarian hormone level. You would do ultrasound to do anti-follicle count. You would do a physical exam. You know, you might want to do blood type and all that. With cancer, you don't have that luxury of time. And the question to you is, it is it better to retrieve eggs and freeze them or is it better to freeze embryos or does it matter? It's always better to freeze embryos. It does okay. matter. Like if they already have the partner that they're going to have children with, then they might as well just fertilize the yeah. embryos. But if they're not, then they have to freeze their eggs. Their so eggs, if, in general, it if you fertilize the eggs, there's something else that you can do. You can do what is called pre-implantation genetic testing on the embryo. Like, okay, so let's say you fertilize an egg, right? It's going to divide. It normally happens during, um, in the fallopian tube. So then the embryo is fertilized in the fallopian tube and then migrates to the endometrial cavity. So with the eggs, once it's fertilized, you would let it grow to what is called the blastocyst stage. It looks like a ball with the embryo at the bottom of it. So you can now test which one is normal, which one is not normal. By knowing which one is genetically normal, you can save the normal one to use later on. What if you're single? Freeze the eggs. Okay, that makes sense. I guess one of the questions that I had is, 
should some of the ovarian tissue should be frozen in addition to the yes. extra embryo? So yes, but the new technology is coming out where you can strip the ovarian cortex, right? So what you're looking for is some of these primordial precursors, frozen eggs. You strip the cortex and you, you can freeze extremely thin layers of this cortex. That is not egg cryopreservation. That's ovarian tissue cryopreservation. And they store these strips such that at a later date, you can take some of these strips and transfer them back into a woman, right? You can put them in the abdominal cavity. They've actually even tried putting it under some skin and then try to stimulate full maturation. All those techniques have worked. It's not ready for prime time, but it has worked. Another thing that they're looking at is, can we get this primordial, this precursor cells, the ones that are not divided yet, can we mature them in their lab? It's called in vitro maturation. I don't think it's ready for prime time, but there are a lot of, um, a ton of research being done, especially in Asia, in China, um, in India, where they're looking at, can we go get these tiny cells and, and, and try to help them complete the process of meiosis, of properly dividing and reducing the DNA content to 23. You see, it's, it's extremely important to reduce the DNA content because this, the fully mature egg has 23 mm -hmm. chromosomes. The sperm has 23 chromosomes. To make a new individual, I need to put the 223 together to form a 46 to get to a zygote. So if I cannot reduce that egg to 23, whatever fertilizes that egg is going to give me a, 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 a genetic problem, right? We call those aneuploid, right? Mm -hmm. If the egg, if the DNA doesn't divide well, let's say all of them go into one cell instead of separating, well, you get a tetraploid, right? That's not survivable. Or let's say one chromosome does not really make it and instead it, it goes into one cell, you get a trisomy. The most common one we know is Down syndrome. Right. But what most people don't know, the vast majority of trisomes, trisomies are not compatible with life. Trisomy mm. seven, right. trisomy 13, it's not compatible with life. So that's why it's important when we talk about the competency of the egg. So if we can get to a stage where we can go after these early, early cells, there are a lot more of them and now help them complete that process of division. And if we can do it successfully en masse, it's a game changer. So let's say um, I come to you as a patient, mm -hmm. I'm let's say 28, mm -hmm. I don't have a partner, but I know I want kids in the future. Maybe just say one Correct. kid. Yes. We do the egg retrieval. Yes. Okay. I go through chemotherapy. Now I'm ready. What do I do? And what does that mean for me? Uh -huh. And I also would like to ask how many patients do come back to you and have like, say, yes, I'm ready to use these eggs yes. and end up yeah. getting pregnant. Eggs. And so I, yeah. I have more questions, but we'll start with that first. <laughs> That's a very beautiful question. I think when we first started freezing eggs, majority of what we're freezing, we're just keeping. So some patients are now coming back, incidentally, seven to 10 years later and say, wow, you know, like you, I'm ready. So. If 
it's a regular patient. We can thaw these eggs, fertilize them with the sperm, see if they divide, see if they make a competent blastocyst. Furthermore, we can test the blastocyst to see if they are genetically normal and don't have any aneuploid like we talked about it. So that's the routine. That's very simple. We do it all the time. Now, the success is going to depend on how many fully mature eggs you have. So if you're young, 28, 32, hopefully most of your eggs are mature. So you don't need to freeze that many. Maybe you need to freeze um, maybe 10, 15. If you're older, maybe you need to freeze, we'd say up to 20. If you want more than one child, so you need to talk to your doctor about that, you may need to freeze more, okay? So, so that's how I talk to my regular patients. And of course, I told you that as the woman gets older, these eggs that are frozen, they're susceptible to damage and also they're dying off all the time. So the age at which you freeze your eggs matters. You cannot compare a 32-year-old egg with a 42-year-old egg. Mm. It's not the same competency, okay? So at that age, you almost need to freeze like, you know, 40 or 50 to, to guarantee, you know, um, a competent embryo. And if you want more than one child, then, you know, that may be challenging. So that's for my routine patient. For a breast cancer patient, right? Um, I wouldn't necessarily treat them any differently. There's now statistics data coming out saying that this women coming back to use their own eggs does not have a negative impact in terms of their future outcome. It doesn't, you know, they're not predisposed to recurrent cancer as often. In those patients, I will probably tend to use um, protocols that won't necessarily give me too high estradiol levels. Again, the data doesn't say that there's any negativity, right? You can use their own natural menstrual cycle to put the eggs in, um, the, the embryo in, or you can do what is called the medicated cycle, or you can do a sort of modified natural cycle, meaning we're, we're waiting for them to ovulate on their own, their body, so they have a corpus luteum. We, we can time when we put the embryo back based on when they ovulated or or when we start progesterone. When you do a medicated cycle, it's just a little easier um, to do. Um, natural cycles can be done as well. The problem with them is that um, patients are not always um, comfortable coming in every so often for us to, to monitor. But so far, the data out there is, there is no negative effect. In fact, you know, waiting a month or two to freeze the eggs has not been shown to have a negative impact on outcome. I do have a couple of questions for yes. you and relating to patients will ask me, I went through treatments for infertility. This is before the cancer diagnosis. You know, I went through the treatment for infertility. I had to take all these drugs and these shots. Do you think that's what caused my breast cancer? What would you say to that? People always ask that. And, yeah. and, and the data doesn't support that. Right. When you look at all these big mega centers, I mean, right. a lot of those data comes out of Europe too, where, you know, they have this cancer registries and they do a lot better job of tracking the entire population. The data just doesn't su support that. So I do not think that it's the fertility medications that's related to the cancer. I think that when you are going to a fertility doctor, you are being exposed to the medical um, field more 
So your chances of actually having a better prognosis is higher. Oh, right? I've never thought of it that way. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're, we're watching you. We're combing over you. You know, I mean, yeah, I, that makes total sense. And I do tell patients, you know, just because you went for the, all these infertility treatments and received medications that does not have any, yes. uh, at least the data doesn't show that that's what caused your cancer. So exactly. it's good for those people who are wanting to, you know, achieve pregnancy and going to see a fertility specialist. Right. The other question is, I'm excited that this trial just came out, positive trial. I'm sure you've heard of it. This just came in New England Journal of Medicine, looking at these women who are hormone receptor positive, and they can achieve pregnancy after being on endocrine therapy for two years, uh, yes. 18 months to 30, 30 months of taking the endocrine therapy after the cancer treatment. They have achieved you know, pregnancy and they're very successful and exactly. the recurrence rate of cancer was not any different than a woman exactly. who did not go undergo pregnancy. So I thought that was really exciting news for those women yes. who are going through cancer treatment, getting endocrine therapy. You know, your hope, there's still hope. You know, the hope, hope is not lost just in yes. case you did not get referred to see a fertility specialist when you're first diagnosed. So I just wanted to yes. make sure that our viewers know about this and yes. talk to their physicians appropriately. So yeah, that's great. Thanks Absolutely. for bringing that up. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I know there's been some um, survivors in the community. I'm very involved on Instagram and just connecting with people. And a lot of them get their periods back or some of them do. Mm -hmm. Does that, does that mean they're able to get pregnant or does that mean that doesn't promise fertility? Can you talk more to that? It, it doesn't tell me anything about the quality of the eggs. It just tells me that they've resumed and they're now ovulating. So they very well may be able to conceive on their own, right? And, and may not. So I think that if that happens with them and they try to get pregnant using a pregnancy app, one of these apps and, and fertility indicators, and it's not working, seek out a fertility doctor, let them check, let them see you know, what's going on. I always say, you never know about the quality of the egg until you have to use it. Right. right. So just because I have a lot of eggs doesn't mean anything. I don't know the I don't know if that egg can fertilize, can it divide? Until you actually use the egg, you don't know the quality of the egg. I will say though to those patients who get their periods back after undergoing chemotherapy, mm -hmm. I say to make sure to use birth control, not birth control pills, but yes, like, oh, like okay. birth control that's non-hormonal because you may or may not get pregnant. Just because exactly. you have this doesn't mean that you'll get pregnant. Okay. Uh, but at the same time, you want to be careful. Okay. Um, Absolutely. So. If you're ovulating, you could get pregnant. Yeah. So think of an IUD. You use a copper IUD that has no hormones right. in it, right? right? Yeah, that's usually oh. what I recommend is copper yeah. IUD. Absolutely. Um, this has been fantastic. Yeah. It's been great, you know, education for me and just being more mindful for us physicians in the community to ask patients when they're newly diagnosed uh, for this young woman. And, um, you know, it's a great reminder. And I, the message I'm taking home from you is send them to you as soon as possible. Correct. And thank you so much for being so passionate about this topic. I can <laughs> sense that you probably help, you know, hundreds and thousands of women and men, of course, you know, it's a couples, right? Yes. Or, you know, man to women, or even those women who are in a relationship with another woman, I think it's a conversation that needs to be had by or yes. by us. Absolutely. And so I think we need to take ownership about that as well. Yes. And my last question, and I'm going to let Monica talk after that, sorry for asking oh, all ahead. these questions, is the cost, right? Everyone wants to know the cost. Is it covered by insurance? And so, so, so cost is a, you know, um, I, I feel very passionate about this. Um, in the past, what I've done is try to help 
some of my cancer patients who, you know, they just don't have the funds. So we, there are places that can give them grants. Um, one of my favorite places is Fertility for Colored Girls. You have the Susan G. Komen right. uh, Foundation. There are foundations out there. There are people who want to help. And one of the things I noticed also, the cancer centers themselves, they've been so helpful. They've been able to help our patients get funding for medication, get funding for, medi um, for, for, um, for treatment itself. Now, it depends on what insurance you have. Some insurance, like, you know, I'm in the state of Maryland, it's a mandated state. So a lot of insurance plans will cover, some will not. Um, and then it depends on who they work for. Some of these employees, the employers, they now have what is called a carve out plan that will cover things like this. So you have your wind fertilities, your kind bodies, your progenies, those will cover, depend on your employer. So you might wanna check with your employer and if your employer doesn't cover, are you in a mandated state where you can get insurance? If that fails, reach out. There are still foundations out there. There are still people willing to help. All right. Well, thank you so much for your time today. We appreciate you being on here and giving us and our audience your expertise. Thank you thank so much for having me. Thank you so much. And your community is so lucky to have you. So thank you thank for all you. the great work thank you're you, doing. Thank you, Dr. H. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank, <laughs> thank you, you very Dr. much. All right. That's it for now. Thank you. Bye-bye. So what do you think? That was a lot of information. Yeah. <laughs> that was, yeah. I mean, you can tell that Dr. Yemi really knows her stuff as yes, well. Yes. She's very passionate. She's super smart. She's very passionate and her patients are so lucky to have her. And I will say this topic was not taught to us in medical school. And it's something that my patients ask me a lot of questions. And so I, I learned a lot of information even just prior to getting on this podcast so the questions that I will encourage our listeners, if they're wanting to have fertility preservation as they're diagnosed with new cancer, is the questions to ask, does it make sense to freeze eggs? Does it make sense to freeze embryos? Uh, is there gonna be ovarian stimulation? Is there another type of fertility treatment? Uh, what drugs will I be taking for uh, the fertility preservation as I'm go getting going through chemotherapy or getting started with chemotherapy? And also it's important to ask, what the cost is, you know, just be honest because not everyone can afford it either. Not yeah. all insurance covers it. Okay. So yeah, this has been a really great podcast and I hope our viewers find it useful. Yeah. So you wrapped it up so nicely, Dr. <laughs> Harvey. So that is a wrap for today. Until next time. Bye. Bye.